What is it, do you think, that could lure you away from God? What it would take to, to coax you from faith in Jesus? What could happen that would lead you to turn away from your Savior? And what should you do right now, today, to prevent this from happening? Well, before we look at those issues from our passage today, let me remind us where we're up to. Uh, Forty years before this, God had rescued His people Israel from slavery in Egypt. He had done mighty miracles to free a whole nation of slaves. And He brought them through the waters of the Red Sea, He brought them through the wilderness, He brought them to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, where He met them and He gave them the law. And then now He brought them to the edge of the Promised Land, uh, the land that He promised to their ancestors. But then they rebelled against Him, uh, and because of that, He finally decided that that whole generation would have to wander around the desert for 40 years, and the next generation would go into the Promised Land. And now, here they are again on the edge of the Promised Land as the next generation. And Moses, their leader, God's prophet, has been making a speech. And we've been hearing that speech over the last few weeks. He has traced their history from the time they left Sinai, drawn lessons from them in the land. Uh, he has reminded them about the law that God gave them at Sinai, and especially the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's told them they are to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And so loving God, uh, they were to keep His statutes. In our passage today, Moses warns the people about the danger they would face in the land the things that could turn them away from God, the things that could sway them into disobedience and idolatry, the things that could lead to disaster. Moses is speaking to ancient Israel, but we know that all Scripture is useful for training us. And so as we listen to Moses warning the Israelites, our prayer is that we would hear the Spirit warning us about the dangers that we face in our own walk with God. Well, the first danger that Moses identifies comes from the current inhabitants of the land. We saw a few weeks ago that these people were under the judgment of God. God had delayed giving Israel the land until their sin was so bad that He was justified in punishing them and destroying them and removing them from the land. And Israel was going to be His executioner. And so Moses begins this section by giving a very strong command to the Israelites about what to do with them. In verses 1 to 2 of chapter 7, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of, and clears away the nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Complete destruction extermination. What does that look like? Verse 2, don't make a covenant with them. Don't show mercy to them. Don't intermarry with them in verse 3. Why? Verse 4, because they would turn your sons from following Yahweh to serve other gods and then the anger of the Lord, Yahweh, would be kindled against you and He would destroy you quickly. You see the danger? If Israel mixed freely with the nations in the land, they would be influenced to follow them in idolatry. And if that happened, then they would be destroyed together with them. 
And so God says in verse 5, Break down their altars. Dash in pieces their, their sacred pillars. Chop down their ashram, their, their, their sacred trees. Burn their carved images with fire. Get rid of their religion and all the paraphernalia associated with it. And why so strong? Verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The word holy there means set apart for God. Israel is not like the other nations. She's different. She is special. She's holy. She is set apart for God. Uh, he, he elaborates in verse 6, in the rest of verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, a treasured possession is like the king's personal property. Right? Like, pretend I'm a king now, okay? Then everything in the country belongs to me. Right? Even the roads, the jungle, right? It's crown land, it's government land, which means I, it's mine because I'm government lah, right? But, but there are some things, like, like my watch, that belongs to me personally. Now, it's not just government property, it's, it's my property, right? Uh, it's my treasured possession. Right? And Moses says to the people of Israel, you are to be Yahweh's treasured possession. He has chosen you to be His special people. You are holy. You belong to Him. You are His people. He's going to take you to His place. The people who oppose Him and the idolatrous religion has no place among you. Do not tolerate them. Do not be influenced by them. You are holy. They must be destroyed. Now, if you're thinking about the ethical implications of all that, go back to Tim's sermon a few weeks ago. Don't have time to deal with it now. Israelites might have been feeling pretty good about themselves at this stage, though. Right? They might be saying, well, actually, yeah, yeah, we're pretty special. We're, we're holy. Uh, we're Israel. We're, we're great. Well, not really. All right? Moses says, actually, it's, it's not because of you that you were chosen. It's not because of your righteousness. Uh, we'll see that in chapter 9, verse 4 next week. And it's certainly not because of your numeric strength. He says here in verse 7, he says, Not because you are more in number than any of the people that the Lord sent His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of the people. So why did God choose Israel? Why were they special? Well, in verse 8, we see two things that are related. Firstly, look what Moses says, it's because God loves you. God loves His people. He chooses them because he loves them. It's about him, not about them. But there's another related reason. Verse 8 says, The Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. In other words, he loves them because that's what he promised to do. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring their descendants to the land and to give it to them. And God keeps his promises. That's what he's like. So God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and made them special. That's why they are, that, that's why are they holy. That's why they are recipients, they are heirs of the promises. In the end, it's not about them. It's about God. It's about God's choosing, God's promises, God's love. And Moses says, know the God who loves you and chose you. You've got to know Yahweh. Remember what he's like. There's two sides to him. The first side is in verse 9. He is the faithful God 
He keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Remember, he made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 500 years before this. He's still keeping them, even though they're dead. But on the other hand, verse 10, he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Right? Like he's just about to do to these people of the land. He will not be slack, verse 10, with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. God is a God who brings judgment. He's the God of love and the God of judgment, both at the same time. And so Moses urges Israel to take warning. He says in verse 11, You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and statutes and the rules that I command you today. God loved you. He chose you. Now stay on the right side of him. Don't let those nations lead you astray lest you suffer their fate as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we too are God's people. We are God's chosen people. God loved us even before we were born. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before Him. It is not, it's not because of us, it's because of Him. He has promised us forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus. He is a faithful God who always keeps His promises. But He is also the God who punishes sin and will destroy sinners in eternal punishment. And He also warns us that if we walk away from Christ, if we set aside His promises, then we will be destroyed with the rest of the world. Listen to the words from Hebrews chapter 10 on the screen. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If Israel kept their commandment with God, if they obeyed God's word, God was going to give them the blessings of the covenant that he promised them. And because they were, part of, they were at that part of, of salvation history in which the promises were of a physical land, then the promised blessings were material blessings as well. Uh, so listen to how Moses describes uh, these blessings. Come on down to verse 12 uh, of chapter 7. And because you listen to these rules and keep them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. 
And all the Lord will take away from you all sickness. None of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. Do you see this? God's going to make the people of Israel numerous. More numerous. He would give them all the riches of the land to enjoy. Make everything go well for them. He would give them health and wealth. But all this depends on what? Depends on them keeping God's law. They must, 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 must maintain holiness. They must, must, must avoid idolatry. They must not be influenced. And so in 6 verse 16, Moses says again, And so you shall consume all the peoples the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. But what about us? We're in a different situation than the Israelites, aren't we? Oh, for the one thing, our promised land is in the new creation. The physical land of Israel was a model, a shadow, a type uh, that points forward to the promised land which is to come. Uh, and so our blessings in that land are also yet to come. In our promised land, we too will be free from all ills. We will have true prosperity. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We will reign with Christ forever. And in the meantime, we enjoy every spiritual blessing with Christ in the heavenly places. And we do enjoy uncovenanted blessings in this life. Those are good things that God gives us that He doesn't promise, that we can't expect. God just gives us anyway. If God gives us health and wealth in this life, we're to thank Him for it but it is not part of the promised blessings for us because God's agenda for us now is whatever it takes to make us more like Christ and prepare us for those real blessings of the promised land to come. We are different in another sense as well. Israel was going to enter the promised land uh, with their sinful natures still intact. And that's going to be a dangerous thing. We'll see that later. But we will enter our promised land at the end of the age and after the final judgment when sin and all its consequences are gone, ah, that's when we go in. And, and we are transformed to the image of Christ. So we can enjoy that land and more importantly we can enjoy God without sin getting into the way. Furthermore, there's a difference in the covenant itself. In Deuteronomy, the commandment is you've got to keep the law. And we know Israel is going to fail. If you put us there also, we would fail. Right. Jesus kept the law perfectly on our part, on our behalf. He's a, he's a true Israelite. And so we are saved not by keeping the law, but by faith in Him. And we stay saved not by keeping the law, but by faith in Him. And so the primary command for us is not keep the law, but trusting Christ to the end. And so passages like Colossians 1, verse 23, uh, just about to come up on the screen, will tell us that we are, we are reconciled to God if we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we heard. Keep on staying in the faith. Now, of course, faith will result in works. Right? And so we must obey God's word, otherwise our faith is shown to be bluff. Turning to Christ means turning away from sin. We can't serve two masters. 
And the Holy Spirit, if He is at work in our hearts, will produce the fruit of holiness. Let, let no one say that we are free to sin. We are not. Jesus is our Lord. But there is a fundamental difference between the structure of the covenant in the old covenant and the new. Both start with God's love and God's choosing. But in the old covenant, in Deuteronomy, you maintain your place in God's favor by observing the law. In the new covenant, you come in by faith and you stay in by faith. Because faith is what unites you to Christ. And Jesus is the perfect, obedient Son. Uh, and Jesus is the one whose performance we have to depend on. There's another difference between us and the Israelites. Israel was God's designated executioner to bring justice to the nations that were engrossed in despicable sin. We have not been given that role. Israel was to keep the land pure. But our promised land in heaven will be kept pure by God Himself. The final judgment enforces that. Which is why when talking about the new creation, Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. We are not yet in the promised land. We live now as God's people scattered among the nations. That's different from Israel as well, isn't it? We're not trying to create a pure society. That, that happens in the new creation. We live in the midst of an unbelieving world. You see, there's a lot different between us and the Israelites. A lot different. But let me tell you what's the same. As Israel was commanded to keep the law, we are commanded to keep faith in Christ to the very end. And as Israel had to be ruthless in, what, in wiping out whoever would turn them away from obedience to the law, we need to be ruthless in getting rid of whatever it is in our lives that will draw us away from Christ. We must. Let me tell you, friends, when I see people who used to call themselves Christian and now don't, usually I see one of two things. Distraction, getting so caught up with the things of the world that the things of Christ just become meaningless to them because their whole mind, their thinking has already changed. And eventually they, they no longer believe. And the second thing is sin. That is, they, they, they sin against God and they persist in a particular sin, which leads to what you call cognitive dissonance, right? I believe in Jesus and I, I persist in this sin. And those two things can't stay together because uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not compatible. Uh, and so in the end we say, okay, I want to persist in that sin, so I'll... Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. Or sometimes they just try and redefine Jesus as someone who agrees with their sin, but that's not the real Jesus. That's the same as not believing in Jesus. So let me warn you, my friends, as Moses warned the Israelites, that, that road leads to disaster. Be ruthless in getting rid of whatever it is in your life that would draw you away from Christ. What might that be? Is your career consuming so much of your time and energy that you don't even think about God until Sunday morning? Are the things that your bosses ask you to do that, that go against your conscience and you know is sin? 
Are you made to visit places of entertainment which are dens of iniquity in order to close deal? And you know that's going to lead you astray. Are the relationships that you have that you know God's not pleased with? Are you considering marrying a person who doesn't follow Jesus? If you're already married, it's too late, stick to it. Right? There's good advice in the Bible on how to do this. But, but if you're not married, then don't do it. And if you know you can't marry someone, then don't go out with them. Don't be led astray. Watch your relationships. Watch where they're going. Don't let them go in a direction that's heading towards sin that will take you away from Christ. Don't, don't take your salvation for granted. Be ruthless in getting rid of whatever it is in your life that would draw you away from Jesus. Israel had to be ruthless in wiping out those who would turn them away from obedience to the law. And it's all well and good, but it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? I mean, these nations are not like, you know, a word on the computer screen, you just press delete, okay, gone, all right? They're, they're going to fight tooth and nail for their survival. And remember how the Israelites, the first time they got to the people of the land, the first time they came to the promised land, they, they went and looked, oh, yo, these people are so big, can't fight, can't fight, can't fight, okay? Moses already noted back in chapter 1 that they were more numerous and mighty than them. And now he says to them in verse 17, he says, If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you have a history. And if you look back at your history, you will know that God is able to look after you. Don't be afraid of them, verse 18, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt. Remember the great trials your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand by which God, God brought you up. So God will do to all the people of whom you are afraid. God, 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 God did it before, right, to the Egyptians. God can do it. You remember what God has done in the past. He can do it again. Uh, in verse 20, he will, he will send hornets among them. In other words, they will, they will run in all directions as if being chased by bees, right? Until those who are left will hide themselves from you and are destroyed. Don't fear, verse 21. Don't be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Friends, when we come to be ruthless of, in getting rid of the things in our lives that would draw us away from God, sometimes we can be paralyzed into inaction by fear. Because there'll be repercussions for our actions. There'll be people who think we're stupid. There'll be people who will oppose what we do. There'll be people who won't like it. Might do all kinds of things to try and stop us. But if you are sure that that is the right thing to do, then do it. God's will is for your sanctification, that you grow in holiness. Take courage. And remember, remember that God gave His Son on the cross to die for you, to rescue you from sin and death and hell. Remember that this God raised His Son from death and triumph, that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. That's a huge, it's an even bigger miracle than rescuing God's people from Egypt. And the God who do that for you will surely look after you through the process of sanctification and becoming more like Christ. God who rescued you will be with you as you deal with whatever it is that would take you away from Him. 
He will give you the strength to deal with the ramifications. He doesn't promise it will be easy, doesn't promise it won't be costly, but He does promise that He is with you. Yahweh, the great and awesome God, is in your midst. But the fact that God is going to clear those nations doesn't mean He's going to do it all at once. Uh, in verse 22, the Lord your God will clear the nations before you little by little. Uh, and the reason we read is because that without a reasonable population of human beings, the wild beast might overrun the land. Uh, and so as Israel's population grows, they will destroy the nation step by step. And yet even through that process, God will still be at work. And God says through Moses in verse 23, God will give them over to Israel until they're destroyed. He will give kings into their hands in verse 24, make their name perish from under heaven. He promises His people, no one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. God's, God's people will triumph in the end because God fights for them. And friends, that little by little is also the same for us as well, isn't it? There are different parts of our lives that the Spirit brings to our awareness that needs to be changed. You, you know what the part is for you. But you know, when that part is settled, then the Spirit will show you another part and another and another. God changes us and He helps us to drive out those things that will take us from Him little by little because we're in that process of being changed to become more like Christ. Now that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse for dealing with something you already know about. But it's a reason never to be complacent. Even when you think you've driven out your enemies, God will show you one more. And that is how we grow, isn't it? That's how we grow. And so Moses ends the passage in verse 25 by telling them once again what they should do with the religion of the people of their land. Burn the carved images with fire. Don't covet the silver or gold that is on them, on them or take it for yourselves lest you be ensnared by it, he says. Don't, don't. Don't look at the silver or gold that's on those idols and say, Aya, sayang to throw out la. Right? Don't cover it and take it and just, okay, I just put it, you know, just use it for decoration. No, 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 you'll get ensnared by it. It, it will trap you. It's not worth it. The idol is an abomination to God, he says. God hates it. Get rid of it. And if you miss out on the gold and silver that overlays it, never mind. Right? Who cares? It's, it's meant to be destroyed. Don't bring it into your house, verse 26. Don't get destroyed with it. Detest it. Abhor it. And friends, that is how we should treat idolatry and sin in our lives. Sometimes sin comes tied up with nice things. Right? Like the idols were overlaid with gold and silver. And we may think, wow, it's such a pity to lose all those things with the sin, so let's just keep it all. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. There may be sinful relationships that you're involved in, but there's also nice things that are part of it. But there's also the sin, and if they're bound so closely that you can't have one without the other, then, then lose them both. Don't sin. That's the important thing. There may be times and lots of desirable things that are, that, are, that are connected with a particular line of work, or a particular leisure activity, or, or, or a use of an app, or whatever it is. And once again, don't just say, oh, sayang la to lose those good things because of the sin. Let's, let's just keep doing it. No, 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 friends. Sin is detestable. God says that. Idolatry is detestable. 
He wants us to learn to detest it as well. He wants us to abhor it so much that we don't mind losing the nice things if it means losing the sin. He can always make up good things to us in other ways. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Moses urges Israel to, to carefully obey the commands of God. And if they do, chapter 8, verse 1, they will live and multiply. They will go in and possess the land the Lord swore to their fathers. But even in this good land, they may eventually face adversity. And so Moses prepares them by bringing them back to remember the adversity they faced. The biggest adversity they faced was was the desert, isn't it? Their experience in the desert. So he tells them to look back and to remember in verse 2 the way that Yahweh, the Lord, their God, led them those 40 years in the desert. He says that he brought them through the desert to, to test what was on their hearts. And how did he test what was on their hearts? He humbled them. He humbled them, verse 2. That is, he took away their self-sufficiency. He took away the things that gave them security, the things that make them think that they can stand on their own. All those things that they had, he had taken them away, and now they're in the desert and they're helpless. How are they going to respond? Will they trust God and obey his commands, or will they rebel against him? He let them hunger in verse 3. Are they going to trust him in the desert when there's no food? Or would they rebel against him? Moses doesn't say here, but we know that they failed the test, right? Remember what happened when the food ran out? Complaining, grumbling, rebelling. Right? And God showed what was on their hearts. See? Now, God actually still looked after them. He, still, he, he fed them with manna. Miraculous provision. No one heard of this before. And so that they would learn to trust Him as their provider. He is the one who looks after them. They can learn that. Or as Moses said in, at the end of verse 3, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know nor your fathers knew that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, He wanted to teach them that even though they don't have bread and they've got nothing to bake it, right, no possibility, God can still look after them. So in the end, what's important is not whether or not they have bread, but whether or not they're obeying God's word. Obedience is more important than food. Jesus knew that, didn't he? Like Israel, he was out in the desert, being there 40 days without food. But he refused to, the temptation to make the stones into bread because he knew that was not the Father's will for him. Obedience to God's word is, is more important than food. And Jesus trusted his father even when his stomach was empty. Israel was tested. Her heart was found to be evil. Jesus was tested. His heart was found to be pure. God cared for his people in the desert by providing them with manna. Now, he, he, he cared for them in other ways as well. He looked after them. In, first, in verse 4, your clothing didn't wear out. Your foot did not swell those 40 years. God made sure, despite their disobedient hearts, God made sure that they could learn this lesson to trust God. God provides. God looks after. And so the lesson from the desert for Israel, when they go through adversity in their future, is found in verse 5. 
Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. God trains us through hardship. God trains us through hardship. And when we hit hardship, don't turn away from God. Turn to Him. So that no matter what happens, verse 6, you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. Now what about us? We pray, lead us not into temptation. Do not bring us to the trial. Why? Because we know that if our hearts were shown up, then we might be more like Israel than we hoped. We pray, lead us not into temptation, because we know that Jesus was tested for us. And our acceptance with God depends on Him, not us. Uh, so contrary to what the media says, the Pope says, uh, lead us not to temptation is a good prayer to pray, right? Because it's calling upon God to look at the testing of Jesus, not our testing. But God still does discipline us, doesn't He? Uh, Hebrews 12, our New Testament reading, which we read earlier, we see that God disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. So when we go through adversity, remember the Lord, trust in Him, don't turn away from God, turn to Him. And God will sustain you through that, God will look after you through that. And as he does, he will use it to make you more like his son as you trust in him in the midst of adversity. Don't let adversity take you away from Jesus. But Moses reminds Israel that it's not just the risk of falling away in the times of adversity. Israel's future in the promised land actually looks very bright. But therein lies another danger. Now, before he warns of the danger, he, he again paints a picture of life in the promised land. And it's a beautiful picture. It almost reminds you of the Garden of Eden. Uh, look at it in verse 7 to 10 of chapter 8. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron out of whose hills you can dip copper. Isn't that nice? It's a beautiful picture. Isn't it? It's a picture of God's people enjoying God's place, under God's blessing. Wow, so good. All right? And when this happens, Moses tells them how we should respond in verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Isn't that a good thing? All right? Eat and be full and joy and say thank you to God. All right? God blesses his people. The people enjoy. They're grateful to him. That's, that's good. That's blessing. So here's the warning. Verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes which I'm commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsting ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you and do you good in the end. Right? Don't forget the lessons of the wilderness when you get to the promised land. You learned in the wilderness that God is the one who provides all your needs. You could see it very clearly in the wilderness because if he didn't, it was obvious you're going to starve to death or die of thirst. But in the land where it's so abundantly blessed by God already, it's so easy to take God's blessings for granted and even forget that they come from him. Take care. Moses says, lest you forget. Sometimes when we are going through hard times, we are humbled by God. We realize our dependence on Him. We cry out to Him for help. He helps us. He sustains us. We are grateful. And then God brings us through good times and we enjoy His blessings and forget Him. It's true, isn't it? We fool ourselves into subconsciously thinking we don't really need him. Moses warned the Israelites, take care lest you forget Yahweh your God that he blesses you with good things. And that's the warning for us as well. Because you know, friends, most of us here today live in relative material prosperity. We pray, give us today our daily bread. But most of us are not really worried whether or not we're going to be able to eat today. And so we so easily forget that every breath we take, every drop we drink, every spoonful of rice that we eat is ultimately given by God. And the danger is that we become self-sufficient in our own minds and we, we forget to be grateful. That's a good practice, isn't it? To, when we pray before we eat, to say thank you to God. That's, that's, that's helping us doing that. But sometimes we might just say it, but we actually forget to mean it. We wander away from God because we think we've outgrown Him. And that's pathetic. Uh, there are other ways we can take God for granted. When we first believe, we may be so thankful to God for saving us because we know we didn't deserve it. And then after a while, when God blesses us with spiritual growth, we begin to think we're okay. And we forget that God is the one who saves sinners. And then we begin to think a bit too highly of ourselves. And instead of being thankful for our salvation, we, we take it for granted. We, we take our place among God's people for granted. We, we do the churchy things. We get involved in activities and ministries and committees. But, but we forget that God is our Savior. We forget Him. And what we think of as our spiritual riches become a source of spiritual pride. Instead of blessing God, we forget that He has saved us, undeserving sinners. And Moses warned the people of Israel, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. And God's Spirit may be giving that same warning to, to some of us today. But how do you do that? How do you, how do you take care? How do you pr prevent yourself from, from, from going down that, that, that terrible path? Well, Moses told Israel to listen to their own self-talk. Verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, 
My power and the might of my hand have got me this wealth, right? If they ever catch themselves thinking like that or talking like that, they must correct themselves immediately. Verse 18, you shall remember that the Lord your God, He is the one who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is today. Yeah, 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 okay, you have to sow the field and tend the herds, but the only reason you've got fields to sow and herds to tend is because God gave you. And the only reason you have energy to sow the fields and tend the herds is because God gives you. You enjoy the blessings of the land because you're strong and work hard. Well, if God had not made promises to your ancestors, you would be a slave in Egypt, and you can be strong and work hard as a slave as well, can't you? You're only enjoying the blessings of the land because God made promises to your ancestors, and He keeps His promises. So remember the Lord. Control the way you think. Start thinking that way, remember, correct it. And friends, that's good advice for us as well, isn't it? Listen carefully to your own self-talk. What are you saying to yourself in your head? What's the attitude of your heart? What do you catch yourself thinking? Am I self-sufficient? You actually catch yourself developing an attitude that you don't really need God? You catch yourself thinking that you're really good spiritually, congratulations to you? Well, well, deliberately check yourself. Remember Yahweh your God. Remember you are a sinner and that Christ had to die to save you. Remember the enormity of His sacrifice, the magnitude of His grace. Remember that every good thing in your life, your great salvation, your future covenanted blessings, and even the uncovenanted blessings that you, that you enjoy now come from Him. Control your thinking. Remember the Lord. And be grateful to Him. Because it all starts on the inside. It starts in the head, in the heart. If, if Israel forgets Yahweh, they will go after other gods because everyone worships something and this is what's going to happen. Verse 19. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and worship them, then I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations the Lord makes perish before you, so you shall perish because you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Friends, let us be warned. Everyone worships something. If we forget Jesus and worship other gods, we too will perish. If we deliberately reject the sacrifice He made for us and we stop trusting Him, there is no sacrifice for sins left. And all that is left is a fearful expectation of judgment. So, brothers and sisters, in conclusion, the fact that God keeps His elect does not leave us room for complacency. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, flee temptations. Deal ruthlessly with whatever it is that will draw you away from Christ. Get rid of idols, even if there are good things attached to them. Run to God in times of adversity Guard your thoughts in times of prosperity. And always be thankful to the God who chose you and loved you and gave His Son to die for you so that you could be one of His holy people. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you that you give us encouragements and warnings in the Scriptures. We thank you that you have shown your great love for us, that you have chosen us, made us your own, that we are your holy people. Thank you that you have promised us an inheritance in the promised land of that new creation. We thank you that you are keeping us for that. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would that you will enable us to heed these warnings that your Spirit gives us. We pray that you help us to flee temptations, that your Spirit will show us what are the things that we need to deal ruthlessly with that would draw us away from Christ. Give us the heart that detests idols, that abhors them the way that you do, Help us to be willing to even lose good things that are attached to them, that we might not be caught up in, in idolatry. In times of adversity, help us to run to you, knowing that you are the God who loves us and sustains us. In good times, we pray that you help us to, to guard our thoughts and to know that we are always dependent upon you. And may we be people who know day by day not only our own sinfulness but your great love and grace that we might be people who are always thankful to you who has chosen us, loved us and given your Son for us that we can be yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thoughts we've heard.